Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, if you had a chance to go up to the uh, Great Glory Harvest Crusade, we were there last night. Some of us here were, were there in person. And wow, what a what an awesome thing. It's also tonight. And if you have a chance to go, uh, the doors open at th- 4.30 and there's a lot of stuff that's going on till six o'clock when it actually starts. A lot of neat things on the screen. And so anyway, I'd like to invite you to go up there. I think you'll really have a great time. And uh, it is absolutely, um, what a production is all I can say. It was really, really neat. Lots of people gave their heart to the Lord. And I just want to just encourage you once again, if you have a chance to go up there, you'll really like that. Last week, we were in John chapter 20, the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the greatest things about that, the only known cure for death. This morning, we're going to go into 21, John 21, because no resurrection is complete without the entire resurrection story. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn in them to John chapter 21. And that's where we'll be this morning. And so as you're turning in your Bibles... Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord, for your word that we have. That we have a foundation for our faith. Not just feelings or emotions or thoughts, but Lord, actually a foundation. We ask you now that you would speak to us, cause us to remember these words in Jesus' name. Amen. And I think we're just on the verge of going into full feedback here. Ooh, oh. Hello? Okay, good. All right. So, John chapter uh, 21. Let's look at this together. After these things. Whoa! What things? Whenever you find that in the Bible, it's very important. You'll find this also in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, where it says, After these things... What things? He had just gone over, John did, the age of the church, the messages to the churches then, and I believe the message of the churches now. After these things. After these things is important here because they had, Jesus had appeared three times unexpectedly to the disciples and to the ladies, to Mary and all. Now, why is that important? Because I believe that Jesus appears unexpectedly in our daily lives. I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of times we like to put God in a box. I like a convenient God. I like a God my way. Well, God does not necessarily operate in my time zone in the way I think, but God, the Bible says, can do things far greater than we can act, ask or think. And so I want to be very careful even in a lot of Christian doctrine that has gone around saying, well, you have to tell God exactly what you want. Otherwise, he won't know what you need. Well, I'll tell you, that's a pretty little God because God knows everything about you. Why is that? Because he loves you. Remember when you're dating your sweetheart uh, and you want to know everything about him. You want to know what their favorite color was. You want to know where they like to eat. You, you want to know what they wanted to eat. You want to know where their favorite place to go. Because love causes a person to be engaged in the other person. Well, for God so loved the world. He loves you. Because he loves you, hey man, he's into you. He knows what you need in your life. You know what I found in my life? I don't really know what I need in my life. 
I got a garage full of stuff I thought I needed. I don't really know. But God knows what you need. And that's really an important part of understanding a loving God versus a God that's an ogre or something that has to continually be appeased. This is what's wrong with Eastern religions. And this is what is wrong in general with all religion. You have to appease this God force out there. Otherwise, he'll chuck lightning bolts at your car and you'll have bad karma for the rest of your life. But when you come to Christ, God already loves you. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus died for you. Now, the reason why he died for you is to redeem you because he wants to take you to heaven for all of eternity. I like that about God. God had an eye for me long before I had ever an eye for him. For God so loved the world. So after these things, after Jesus had rose from the dead and had unexpectedly appeared to the disciples, to Mary, after these things. Now, what we're going to find here is we're going to find another unexpected appearance of Christ. The Bible says here, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, or the Sea of Galilee, and in that way, in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, And by the way, Thomas had just seen the risen Savior in the previous chapter where Jesus offered him to put his fingers in the holes in his hand and thrust his hand into his side. He said, he just lists these here by name. Nathaniel of of, uh, Cana Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples together. I don't know why these last two disciples weren't named. I found a lot of times in the Bible when something's not named, it might be just an oversight, but knowing God, nothing's an oversight. And I think it's interesting that as an example, Paul asked the Lord three times to take away the infirmity in his flesh. And he, and, and God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, I asked the Lord three times to take away this thing. What was that thing? Well, it was, no, it doesn't say. Now, why is it that God doesn't say what it is? Well, maybe so you can put your infirmity in there and realize that just as God said to, to, to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, I can apply that to my infirmity in my flesh or that lack in my life, whatever it might be. So in other words, God is reaching out to everybody and sometimes through the unnamed things in the Bible. So he says, and the other two unnamed disciples. Now, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now this is interesting to me. Because there's a lot of commentaries on Peter going fishing. I know a lot of you guys, you don't need an excuse to go fishing. I remember when I was a little boy, my dad and me, we'd come up here to Idaho. My grandmother lived here. My dad was from Twin Falls, went to Twin Falls High and all that kind of stuff. But my dad couldn't take winter. I'm beginning to understand what he meant by that. He said, the wind never stops blowing here. I think we know that. 
And I remember we were driving and whenever there was a creek along the road, like I remember just south of Jackpot, there's where the the uh, Salmon Creek goes under the... He stops, grabs his fishing pole, runs over and starts fishing. He couldn't wait. And I looked at that and I always thought, man, now that is devotion. And so the thing is, Peter goes, I go fishing. Now, first of all, recognize this. We don't find any directive for Peter to go fishing by God. But God did not punish Peter for fishing. Makes us all feel good, doesn't it? The second thing about it is, we'll find as we read on here, it brought forth nothing. Jesus told the disciples to go to the Sea of Galilee and wait there. Now, I imagine maybe Peter thinking, well, hey, since I'm just here hanging out, we're kind of hungry. They push the boat out and they decide to do a little fishing while they're waiting for whatever it is that's going to happen. Notice he says, I go fishing. And they, the other disciples, said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat that night and caught nothing. That's disappointing, isn't it? I think fishermen kind of get used to disappointment. I, I don't know about you, but I, for many times, would watch my dad cast and reel, cast and reel in, cast and never caught anything. And I go, let's go. I, I have, see, I have, a, some people like to fish. It's relaxing. Some people like to go bike riding because it's relax. Some people like to jog. I have a motto. If it doesn't burn gas, it ain't no fun. I want a good carbon footprint. Okay. So anyway, here we find that Peter doesn't waste any time. Now, some people say, well, Peter, instead of waiting for directive from God, not wanting to waste time, decided to do something. Maybe he decided to go out, get some food. They would eat the fish, of course. So maybe that's one of the reasons why he decided to go fishing. But the point was, he caught nothing. And friends, I think that's real important when we see something that we do in our life, not necessarily directed by God, but just something we do and we find an empty result. Now, you got to remember, maybe if you're a fisherman, it might be an empty hook. In this particular case, they use nets, an empty net. I believe that when we keep getting empty nets, it's time to change the channel. It's time to change the method that we're using. Because I believe a lot of times we get into a rut and we're scared to step out and see what God would really do in our life. I've shared this many times, but a, but a rut is simply a coffin with the ends kicked out. And so we can get into a rut because this is the way I've done it. This is the way I've always done it. This is the way I'm going to continue to do it with an empty net. We don't want it that. Life is precious. Time is short. So it says here that they... Um, caught nothing. Verse 4. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Now, it was probably just dusk. It was just coming. The sun was just coming up. A lot of shadows, things like that. They saw a guy standing there along the shore. Then Jesus cried out to them, 
Children, have you any food? This is not an uncommon remark. In fact, in Hawaii, if you're driving around, you'll see a lot of uh, pickup trucks with ice chests in the back. And it says fresh ahi or fresh um, uh, Maui Mai or some other fish. And you would drive up and for 20 bucks, they'll give you a big bag of fresh fish. It's really cool. And, and the thing is, so it was not uncommon for fishermen to be approached by the locals to buy fish from them. And so I imagine at this point, they probably thought Jesus was just a a homekeeper looking for some food for his family. Hey, have you caught anything? Notice what it says. They answered him, no. You know, confession is a hard thing, isn't it? We're trained professionals. We caught nothing. I look at that and I think this is really interesting because a lot of times all of our expertise, all of our latest technology, in this particular case, they had good nets, they had a nice boat, they had years of experience, but it brought forth nothing. And he said to them, now you can just see Jesus on the shore yelling out to them. They're in the boat offshore and he's yelling and they're yelling back and forth. And by the way, sound travels across water really well, if you've noticed that. He says to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now, friends, this is rich. You got to think about this for a minute. We fished all night. We're trained professionals. This guy on the shore is saying, cast your net on the other side of the boat. You'll find some. I can just see him going, okay. But now all of a sudden it gets a little, it gets a little reminiscent of a few months back where this same thing happened. And Jesus said, did you catch anything? And they said, nothing. He said, cast your net on the other side. And we remember they did. And remember Peter, he said, um, if you say so, Lord, we'll let down the nets. I don't believe that Peter, when he said it the first time, a few months back from what we're reading right now, I don't believe what, what was going on there was, was good. I, I think that he's going, we're trained professional. This guy's a rabbi. He says we're fishing off the wrong side of the boat. Okay, fellas. Let's fish off the other side. Let's let down the net. And to his surprise, to the disciples' surprise, they brought in a load so heavy, the nets were breaking. Now, some people estimate this to be around 300 pounds of fish. I mean, that's a lot when your nets start breaking. In this particular case, as we're going to read here, the nets did not break. Now, one of the things that I think is important here is that Peter's reaction to this miracle, undeniable miracle, the first time was, wow, Jesus, that is so cool. Let's start a fishing company. Peter and Jesus, no, no, okay. Jesus and Peter's fishing company. And and we'll, we'll, we'll just do this all the time. Think of the money we'll make. You know what Peter's reaction was? Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Because of his remark, I have to believe the nets were let down out of spite rather than out of obedience. Because otherwise you would have said, wow, Lord, this is incredible. This is great. 
Peter's reaction was, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Why? Because he doubted what he said. Well, now we find kind of a picture type now again, Jesus said, let your net down on the other side. That's like going to a hunter at the hunting season and saying, hey, you went up in the South Hills. Did you get the big buck? No, I hunted all night and I found nothing. Well, your problem is you're using the wrong end of your gun. Basically, that's kind of the statement. You're telling trained fishermen the reason you're not catching fish is you're fishing off the wrong side of your boat? Well, notice what it says. Cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now, a couple of things here. First thing is, God is our provider. I like that. Number two, nobody can deny that this number of fish that was brought in was not a miracle. Amen? I mean, that's a miracle. You you fished all night, caught nothing. You fish off the other side of your boat. And now the net is so big and probably estimate again, somewhere around 300 pounds of fish. That's a lot of money, but it's a lot of food. And they're bringing it in. That's an undeniable miracle. But here's what I believe is important in this. God used in this miracle, the disciples boat. God used in this miracle, their net. God used in their fishing, their expertise. But when God touched it and it became a miracle, that's what affected everything. Now, now, why is this important? Because I think a lot of times we have a concept in our head, in our in our minds as believers in Christ that I need a miracle from God, and so I'm just going to sit right here in my lawn chair and wait till He does something. No, God uses oftentimes what we have, anoints it, and then multiply. Remember the loaves and the fishes. Jesus said, you give them something to eat as there was a crowd of at least uh, 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children. And he said, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, all we have here is a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. But what is that amongst so many? Jesus said, bring it to me. And so they brought the fish and the, and the bread to Jesus. He blessed it. And then he did something that we don't usually like. He blessed it and then he broke it, but it fed the multitudes. I have found a lot of times until we're broken before God, we don't really, uh, what's inside of us doesn't come out. Remember when, uh, Mary Magdalene, um, broke the bottle of, uh, of ointment, the sweet perfume on Jesus. And Judas Iscariot got all bent out of shape. He goes, oh, that could have been sold for a year's labor. And he he didn't care about the money. All he wanted was more money to steal because the Bible said he'd been stealing from the disciples all along. But what's what's weird there, it wasn't till it was broken that that which was wonderful inside come out. It isn't till we're broken that God then can use us. Because I believe before we're broken, we come to God with a lot of prejudices, a lot of different ideas about the way things are going to be. And I believe that when God just simply says, I'm going to empty you of who you are so I can rebuild you back the way I want you to be. And so they brought in empty nets. God said, fish on the other side of the boat. Now their nets are so full, they can barely bring them in. Now notice, it says here, 
Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. He recognized it. Now, friends, real quick, it was the miracle that caused them to understand that it was Jesus. Notice, first of all, it was Peter, it was John who recognized it was the Lord. He recognized them, but notice who actually put feet to their faith. It was Peter. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Uh, it was very customary in those days that if you were going to be in a boat, and sometimes over in the Sea of Galilee and in uh, the north end uh, uh, of Israel, uh, which I've been there, and e- even in the very early mornings, it's, it's quite warm. And so they would take off their, their clothes, things like this. They'd basically be fishing in the fruit of the looms, if you will, because it was cool. And and the thing is, when he heard it was the Lord, he the Bible says he wrapped himself around, he put his coat around him, and he jumped into the sea. Because of this reason, it was very disrespectful to present yourself before your superior half naked. So this is one of the things Peter did. He wrapped this thing around him, and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples, in a little boat... For they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with the fish. And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, fish laid on it, and bread. And by the way, this is something that Jesus had already prepared for them. You know, uh, we, there's a name for God in the Old Testament called Jehovah to sit canoe. God oftentimes would reveal who he was through the different names. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You'd find these different names that would reveal who God is. God is our provider. He will take care of us. Friends, it may not be an issue today so much where you're at setting today. But I believe it's very possible in the days to come, because the uncertainty of our world, when you look at all the predictions that they're making, they're saying the the uh, fertilizer is hard to get for the fields, which they said is going to curtail the output of the food. And so global famine is now, for the first time in many, many years now, is being talked about. It's almost a guaranteed thing. And if there is food, it's going to be extremely expensive. These are some of the problems that we face in this world. And most of us who live in America do not realize and and have to rely on the provision of God. But when things get tough, this is where God shows himself and he shows up unexpectedly. You know, you'll be somewhere. I remember a story, a friend of mine, pastor friend Mike McIntosh said years ago, he was over in the Congo. And he said that uh, they were there having church services and a bunch of rebels showed up and they all had guns. And uh, they were mowing everybody down. And he said, we just got up and ran for our lives. And he said, there were people falling around him. And he said, I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. He said, I thought this was it. And he said, I'm running as fast as I can. And on the back of an ambulance that was abandoned, he said that on the back of an ambulance, there was a... Ben Born Again bumper sticker, uh, and, and speaking of what made me think it was, um, uh, Greg Laurie. He had a little bumper sticker called Ben Born Again. It was a little hippie looking dude. 
and and it was that I found Jesus, you know, and that was stuck on the back of the uh, back of the uh, uh, ambulance. And he looked at his friend after he saw that. He goes, "We're going to make it. We're going to be just fine." It's really weird the little things that God will do to remind you that He's around. Unexpectedly, God will do a miracle for you. He just does that. And sometimes it isn't until we've exhausted every other possibility of finding fulfillment, that's when God shows up. Peter went back to what he did. He was a fisherman. Jesus, the first time around, said to him, from now on, you're going to be catching men. This is exactly what God was going to continue to do in Peter's life. And Jesus had to just give Peter a refresher course. So they come to shore. Jesus has already prepared a little fire for him. He's got fish cooking and the bread cooking. He's got a meal for him all laid out there. And he says, Soon as they had come to land, they saw the fire. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've caught. You've just caught as well. So Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to land, Full of fish, 153. Although there were so many fish, this time the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Come and dine, the master called. Come and dine. Hey, Jesus said, I've cooked breakfast. Can you imagine that? You know, the last time Peter was around a fire was where he was cussing and swearing he didn't know who Jesus was. As Jesus was in the inner court, Peter was on the outer court, a little slave girl walks up to him and says, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And that's where Peter began to cuss and swear he never knew who the Lord was. And now around a little campfire where Jesus is cooking them breakfast, Jesus now says to them, as he looks at them, Jesus said to them, come and eat. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord. Why is that verse in there? Well, if you were asleep, you're not now. I love that when you do that, Scott. Just You put that in there at the right spot. Scott didn't do that. I don't know why it does that. But the thing is, is that, who are you? I believe when they blindfolded Jesus and they beat him in the face and they shoved the crown of thorns on his head, he was laid open from the scourging from the Romans. I've shared this many times. People say, oh, he was beaten 39 times and there's 39 different kinds of diseases out there. That is not true, friends. Jesus was not beat by the Jews. He was beat by the Romans. They did not have the 40 minus 1 mercy rule. They would beat you till you were dead. And I believe this is why Jesus could not carry his cross. I believe this is why Jesus uh, had uh, the Roman government commission Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross beam up to the place of Golgotha. And the reason why is because they had so beat him, he was unrecognizable. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, as a strong angel holds up the scroll, the title deed of the earth, saying, who's willing to take it? Open and break the seals thereof. And the Bible says John wept, the same John we're reading about, wept because there was no one on earth, under the earth, anywhere that was worthy enough to take the scroll. And then the Bible says one stepped out of the crowd, 
like a lamb that had been slain. I believe, friends, someday when we go to heaven, you're going to see a mangled man as your savior. You're not going to see some long flowing Hollywood star type looking guy. I believe you're going to see somebody all deformed, distorted. What are those marks of? I believe death sealed him in the physical condition he was in when he died. Remember, the marks in his hands and the mark in his side, the hole in his side, was still there when Thomas put his fingers in. And we find this often. Mary had trouble recognizing him as well. I believe he was so beat. I've been to many, many, um, uh, done many funerals, and I've done many body identifications over the course of being a pastor for 40 years. And they'll have me come down and look in the casket and and uh, identify him. And man, I'll tell you, sometimes I can't identify him. They're so swollen if they've been in a car wreck where the face has hit the steering wheel or the windshield or or whatever it might be, and the swelling that ensures they're just they're a mangled mess. Well, I believe this is why Jesus was unrecognizable, and we're going to see what he went through to keep all of us out of hell. I don't believe we want to take that for granted because again, all Jesus asked in return is he said, I died for you. Will you live for me? I think that's a pretty good thing. God's offering you something that you can keep forever in trade for something that you're going to lose. You're going to lose your life here on this earth. Someday it's going to be over. Now, some days we recognize it might be a little sooner than other days. But nevertheless, none of us get out of this world alive, except for the rapture, maybe. The question is, what are you going to do on that day when your day comes? Again, Jesus, the only known cure for death. Now he says, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is how the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Remember the first time he showed himself to Mary and the ladies. Verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these? Now, the word these here uh, leaves some people. Are you talking about these, the other disciples? Are you talking about these fish? We don't really know, but the question was to Simon, Simon, do you agape me? In the Greek, that's that deep, intimate fellowship love. Do you have that for me, Peter? Notice it says here, he said, yes, Lord, you know I am fond of you. And he said, feed my lambs. By the way, feed my lambs. You all belong to Jesus. Uh, I think a lot of times pastors and churches and things think you belong to the pastor. You don't. You belong to Jesus. Jesus commissioned Peter, feed my sheep. You, you take care of them. And then he says to him, the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. The second time Peter has said this. I think Peter is being very cautious with his words here because we remember when he denied the Lord, how after the cock crowed, Peter, the Bible says, went out and wept because he was heartbroken. He realized everything Jesus said that he would do, he did. And not a good way. 
And he said, then he said, tend my lambs. First ones, he said, feed them, then take care of them. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you, are you fond of me? He didn't say this time agape me. He said, do you phileo me? Are you fond of me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This time, Peter said exactly what he'd said before. Jesus said two times, do you have that deep, intimate love for me? Peter responds two times, you know I'm fond of you. The third time, Jesus says to him, well then, Peter, are you fond of me? And Peter said, you know, Lord, that I'm fond of you. It is interesting to me that God came to Peter's level. He didn't say, well, I'm way up here, you're way down there, someday you'll progress up here. Jesus says, okay, I'll meet you where you're at. That's what God will do with you today. God will meet you where you're at. Why is that? Because God loves you. Love meets people together. See, getting back to what we said earlier, when you love somebody, you want to, you want to know everything about them. You want to know what colors they like, where they like to eat, what they like to do for fun, all these different things. Jesus comes and meets us where we're at with the idea that he will lift us and elevate us where he wants us to be. Verse 18, Most assuredly I say to you, Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself, you walked wherever you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will gird you, put handcuffs on you, and carry you where you do not wish. And he spoke, signifying what death he would glorify God. And when he said, he spoke into this, he looked at Peter and said, follow me. That's what he said. Follow me. That's all we got to do. Follow me. That requires one thing, to know which way God's going. I can't follow somebody if I don't know where they're going. And so when we pray, we say, okay, Lord, open the doors of my life where you want me to go. Close the doors of my life where you don't want me to go. I will follow you. Notice Peter offers an excuse. He says here, then Peter turning around, which if you turn around, you have to take your eyes off of Jesus, by the way. He had to turn around and he goes and he points at John and says, what about this guy? Isn't that what we like to do? Whatever it is God tells us to do, we want to say, yeah, but what about everybody else? I believe God wants to give you individually fresh fresh vision, fresh fire. Not from somebody else or what God's doing in their life, but what God wants to do in your life. He says, and Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Friends, there's always an excuse why we don't want to follow God. We remember there was an invitation given to a great supper. And the man that prepared the supper says, go out now and invite all those who were invited to come to the supper, for it is now made ready. 
And remember, they went out and it said one by one, they began to make excuses. And if you ever look at this in the Bible, in the Gospels, they were some pretty lame excuses. One guy says, I just bought some land. I got to go look at it. Well, that's pretty stupid. You buy something you've never seen before. Uh, I understand people do that in the real estate market with a lot of pictures online. I understand that. But this guy didn't have any pictures. He just bought land. Another guy made his excuse. And finally, the last guy says, I got married and I can't come. I thought that was kind of interesting. People will offer excuses instead of obedience. Now he says, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that the disciples would not, that this disciple would not die. John would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if you will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? It is interesting, friends, that people even then misinterpreted what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, hey, listen, if I leave Peter alive till I come back, what business is that of yours? You follow me. Always remember, that's where the power of God is. That's where the unexpected appearance of Jesus is in your life. Last night, as we were there at the crusade, we had the CSN booth, and a lot of people either recognized my voice or recognized from Instagram. People would come up and say, I got saved listening to CSN. I got li- saved, literally one man came up and said, I got saved listening to every man and answer. He said, I used to drive back and forth in my car at work. And he said, this guy, this Christian turned me on to your radio station. And I started listening to every man and answer. And what you said made sense. And I accepted the Lord. I just go, man, that is a, that's weird. This guy I had never seen before. And yet his life was impacted by all of what we do here together. And I just think, wow, God, that is so amazing. And one after another, after another would come up. And finally, this one pastor comes up and his name was Bobby. And and um, I remember down on the corner of 3rd and 3rd when we started down there, um, he'd come to church loaded. He'd set out in his car, smoke dope, his eyes would get red, and he'd come in. And as I would share, I would say things that were relevant to his life, and he'd giggle. And he, he, he came up to me and he goes, how did you know that about my life? And I go, it's just something God was doing. And almost every week he'd come to church, but he'd come to church stoned and giggling. And I remember they came to me and they said, should we throw him out? And I said, no, I'm glad he's here. I said, we're, we're a hospital. We're not Christians on parade. And so he, 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 he sat back there. He gave his life to God. And he, the Lord just did. I, and I was talking with him last night about this because I haven't seen him for so many years. He's a pastor of a church up in Caldwell, Idaho. And, uh, he, he's got, it's a big church. He's got, like three services going and and it, it's just amazing what God has done in his life. And I look at that and I realize you never know what, who, you know, think about the person that led Billy Graham to the Lord. You think about that for a minute and, and you realize that that guy's going to have a great reward. You see, this is the way it works in the family of God. Notice the last two verses. We'll close here. Then this disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things 
And we know that his testimony is true. John writing these things saying, everything I'm writing to you is true. Now remember, would you die for a lie? When you study Fox's Book of Martyrs, and that's how many of the early church uh, Christians died, many of the church fathers died, and how the disciples died. Only one did not die a gruesome death, and that was John, who was boiled in oil. And the Romans were very pantheistic. They believed in a lot of gods, thus the whole scene at Mars Hill, for you guys that study your Bible in the book of Acts. And when he didn't die, they went, ooh, you know what I mean? You're supposed to be dead. We boiled you in oil. You're supposed to be dead. And so they got scared and they thought, well, if <laughs> we killed a lot of people this way in torture, you lived. So what would we do with him? And so they exiled him on the island of Patmos. And this was a, a penal colony uh, uh, island, very little vegetation, anything. And there is where John was given the book of Revelation that we read about there in the book of Revelation. So John was the only one that didn't die a gruesome death, though they tried to kill him many times. And the whole question was, he says, I'm telling you what we're telling you is the truth. Would you die for a lie? Well, Jesus really didn't uh, raise from the dead. Uh, the disciples got together and they stole him. Uh, they grabbed his body and they hauled it away in the middle of the night. And, and then, 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 see, and then we'll just tell everybody he rose from the dead. Well, then when they finally were under scrutiny and under in, in court saying, did Jesus really raise from the dead? We're going to take and we're going to crucify you upside down. And Peter said, no, he really did raise from the dead. And he died crucified upside down, just what Jesus said earlier in Rome. And we find that in this, would you die for a lie? If you stole the body, you and your buddies, and you got it out in the backyard someplace, buried away, and they say, we're going to execute you unless you change your story. Well, you know, we stole him. He's in the back. Just let us go. Okay. No, they didn't do that. They died for what they knew was true. Verse 25. And I love this verse because it says this. And there are also so many other things that Jesus did, which I, if did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose even the whole world itself could not contain the books that he would would, would be written. Amen. So be it. He said, I don't think the whole world would contain enough room to record all the things that Jesus did. So understanding, Jesus does miracles for those that he loves. He shows up unexpectedly. He's our provider when we fail. We fished all night and caught nothing. We find that when God directs our efforts, there are results. The net was full. This morning, I pray, if you've been fishing with an empty net, you might consider Jesus. It's not that you don't have a boat. It's not that you don't have a net. You just need the anointing of God in your life. And that's what makes the difference. But that's where the power of God is. And that's what God wants to do for you. This morning, if you've never received Christ, I want you to consider Jesus this morning. 
What hope do you have? He with the most toys when he dies wins? Nothing. No U-holes behind purses. They're not going to put the, your casket down to the ground and then start dumping your junk in on top of it. The Bible says one life is all we've been given by God. And God's given us that ability to choose what we want to do with that life. That old song, one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. I believe that. And so this morning, if you've never given your life to Christ, maybe you're a Christian, you've just believed the lies of the world, but you keep pulling up an empty net, I want you to just consider Jesus this morning and just invite the Lord in your life. And as Jesus said to Peter, so Jesus would say to you, follow me. If you need to pray this morning, if you don't want another 10 years like you just had, and you know you need to repent, that means you're sorry for the things you've done because you've wasted so much time. We're going to pray right now and you can ask Christ in your life. So let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And you rose from the dead to give me life forever. And so now I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. I want to follow you. I want to be what you're doing. I want to be part of your kingdom. And so write my name in your book of life. That I can spend eternity with you forever. And now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God, to be about what you want me to do. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.